Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Make sure you have the UK side teed up before you go abroad. Even if you think of the jurisdiction abroad, make sure you start with the UK and you make sure that the UK side is teed up together with the foreign jurisdiction. Make sure that you are prepared everything before the transfer date. Obviously, the third one, which probably should have been my first in fairness, is a bit like we were talking earlier. Get a parental order. <laughs> testing, testing, one, two, three... Hello and welcome to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast. I'm Wes and we've got a great episode for you today. So in this episode, you're going to be hearing all about the law in the UK. Michael was joined in a studio by Andrew Spearman from Leighton's ETL. And they will cover everything you need to know with regards to the law when you're on your surrogacy journey. Andrew. Hello. How the devil are you? I'm fabulous, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I am good. So, Andrew's been on, you've been on our podcast before, haven't I you? have, yes. Like a little resident presenter, almost. Oh, it's like the merry-go-round, the gift that keeps giving. It is the gift that keeps giving. So, how are you? You good? I'm very well, thank you very much. Very well. It's uh, nice to be back and nice to have a good natter with you. Good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So, Andrew, we know that you've supported hundreds of IPs, both UK and and internationally with surrogacy. And for those that haven't or don't know, could you summarise UK surrogacy law for those that are a little bit unsure? Sure. I mean, gosh, when you say hundreds, it makes me sound very old. I, well, to be fair, <laughs> he's not, he's not, he's not. So surrogacy law in the UK, obviously, I, I practice in England and Wales, Russia in particular. And the uh, law stems back to the 1990s, where we had the first uh, blush of the Human Fertilisation Embryology Act. You'll hear me talk about that a lot. It's called the HFEA. We had an update in 2008. Uh, and then a supplemental order to allow parental orders in particular come through. So they're quite quite key terminology for us as we talk today. The The law more broadly, however, goes a bit further back. And I always start talks by saying just how archaic the law actually is. Because actually in the 80s, it, it resulted in a case, the, the Cotting case, where there was a, a surrogacy arrangement and Parliament very quickly rushed through a raft of legislation to inhibit uh, surrogacy arrangements and create the myth that is today that surrogacy is sometimes illegal and people going abroad that it's frowned upon and it's it's not at all. What it does is make the, the arrangement around it very unsupportive. But luckily, after a raft of cases uh, and law that goes through, we've, we've managed to beat that down to make it a much more straightforward process. But surrogacy in England and Wales is the gestational carrying of a 
child that is is or isn't yours that is with different intended parents at the end of it. And those that are close to surrogacy will know that surrogacy in the UK is being reformed, thankfully. And uh, you know, you've played a key part in that in, in hosting certain events with the, with the law commissioners. So the latest updates have come out very recently by the APPG, which is the All Party Parliamentary Group for the Surrogacy Law Reform, and. Plans are beginning now to move closer towards a draft bill, which mm. for those in the community and for uh, your community, also exactly what we want to be hearing. What's been your thoughts on where things are moving? Slowly. It keeps getting delayed and the, the proverbial can keeps getting uh, kicked down the road, doesn't it? In fairness, the, it's obviously quite a detailed piece of legislation, really quite an overhaul. I've got to take my hat off to the Law Commission in their consultation document because they really went to town on various different options to garner as many different views on it as possible and uh, really promote the conversation that, that came around it. So I take my house off to them because they made a rod for their own back in probably just how much information they got yeah. back yeah. Uh, as a consequence. But all good stuff, whether it whether you're pro-surrogacy, whether you're anti-surrogacy, whether you've got a, a religious view on surrogacy, whether you have a moral or political view on surrogacy, I imagine they're still wading through a whole myriad of responses. But slow, because obviously the, the surrogacy laws are archaic, uh, in my view, and the faster the reform can take place, the better. I would caveat that with having the right reform and not just a rush through piece we've, yeah. we've had too many pieces of legislation which for the right reasons were put through parliament too fast i can list a number of probably quite popular ones in my mind that just didn't didn't have the the gumption to them really to survive uh, what actual practical things mean for people on, on the ground it was a, a political piece so we can't have that either so i'd rather do it properly and if that means we wait then then so be it but it's still only the point where we're waiting for the commission to to report. Yeah, we're still we're still probably what two three years. Oh, off, do we think easily? Because you know, even when we get going, we've got to get parliamentary time. We've got to get the, the committee stage through, and then we've got to get to sense for it as well. Three years minimum, I would say easily. So next stage will be the consultation report, and then will it be draft bill following that? Yes. So uh, depending on on how keen the Department of Health are at kicking it forward quickly, sometimes it's quite a nice piece to have, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to step on my colleagues who speak politics rather than law, but the I rather imagine it's quite a nice piece and an otherwise drab list uh, of things for, for people, which is broadly supported across, across yeah. different sectors. So yeah, it'd be the green paper, white paper, general consultations from the government as well, and then straight into the draft bill being put before Parliament. The Law Commission should hopefully have prepared a relatively detailed bill as well, so that would speed things along. So you've got yes. the APPG, so the cross-party group that were here to reform this archaic piece of law, and the Law Commissioners stepped in to be a bit Switzerland and a bit more, this is what we're doing. <laughs> is that kind of... Uh, kind of. Actually, I think, I think it was almost running in tandem. So the 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 law reform or the law commission was asked by the government to look into this uh, as one of their their submissions and it goes through and so the law commission have to choose as you say to to step in as Switzerland to to look into it independently and a broad section and then report back particularly where it's quite a heavy topic or quite sensitive topic the law commission provide a real depth of research which sometimes uh, government can't actually put into and it's, it is an all party it's cross society it's cross politics it's something that affects everybody so it's a real um, strength to have them reporting in on it mm-hmm. uh, and then the APPG who do their research in tandem with that and uh, they do a lot they did lots of committees from looking at their their findings and are they make no apology for it, that they are very pro surrogacy in yeah, their approach yeah. but they they rightly report back and help feed into uh, what is then going to be the Department of Health and the, the Parliament's debate on it and 
obviously very skillfully chaired by uh, Andrew Percy. Let's move on to or talk about international surrogacy. Hmm. Data is now sort of signposting and letting us know that international surrogacy is certainly back on the radar after from a COVID point of view, dipped off mid-2020 and now on the rise again, whether that's people shipping gametes through secondary provision or thinking about going abroad again. So let's talk about a typical international journey. And I'm I'm literally putting you on the spot here, so (laughs) you're going to hate me for this. What would you say a typical timescale for an international journey for a UK domicile person to get their parental order through? What does that tend to look like? So we, we've already spoken about previously in another episode about UK law and how straightforward that can be. Mm-hmm. What's the pathway like? Uh, so the international pathway in some ways can be more complicated, but in other ways can be uh, faster than the UK pathway uh, or the domestic pathway. I'll refer to it as obviously I can't comment on the Scottish side, but the international journey is something which a lot of people are attracted to because of the speed of which it works. The reason for speed is individual to why you would want to go faster, but the ability for that jurisdiction, and and here I refer to countries like the US and Canada in particular, is usually the availability of surrogates. People who have much larger populations, you, you have more people who are willing to step up and do the most generous act that they can do. So the the timescale you can put me on the spots and I won't be I won't be pinned on this for for love nor money but I, if I if I go through it I would say that if you're looking at international surrogacy you can be matched as quickly as 3 or 4 months it's a much more active process by an agency that you engage in in that jurisdiction uh, less of a a piecemeal symbiotic matching although the the relationship does usually blossom mm-hmm. into being a very two-way process still it's certainly not I'm not critical of it at all, but three or four months, but then it could take up to six to eight months still, but still, in my view, faster than the UK. The international pathway then, so someone would engage with your services prior to their, during treatment, would they be dealing with you prior to embryo transfer? What would you be suggesting that IPs do? Always, 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 when you're looking at international journeys is to get advice before you look at that foreign jurisdiction. You've got to look at it, in my view, from the far end of where you want to get to and then work your way back and where you want to get to is being the legal parents of a child born through surrogacy and it doesn't matter where you go in the world or even if you stay domestically that requires a parental order you can't just go to these foreign jurisdictions obtain a birth certificate for example in the US uh, again an easy one because it's familiar to people where you get a pre-birth order um, or an order even post-birth which actually puts you on the birth certificate already and you come back to the UK saying well I've got a birth certificate what more do I need to do yeah. I mean it's a very common observation isn't is that it? is that common do people assume that because they've got that pre-birth order they arrive back in the UK and they less common now luckily organizations uh, and uh, people like myself have done a lot of work to uh, stand up and educate mm-hmm. yeah doing a lot of presentations and committees and and uh, conferences standing you must get a parental order yeah. <laughs> um i feel like a broken record sometimes but it, it, it saves everybody a lot of time money and effort if you do it the right way around to start with the, the reality is that without that parental order the surrogate remains the legal mother as far as English law is concerned. Mm-hmm. And it's a marked contrast to one man, one woman, one bed. That are the assumption rules and that there is a lot of cross-border international statutes and, and convention things about recognition of parenthood. Surrogacy does not fall within that scope. And so we can't have that. You need to still do it here if you want those rights to flow. So if there are IPs out there that maybe not be working through an organisation and want to follow updates on 
after law reform or what's happening next within surrogacy. Is there any particular feed they should be following or organisation they should be keeping an eye on? What's What should IPs be doing to get themselves prepared for the, the, the law reform and the changes ahead? Sure. Well, uh, I think a bit like what we were saying earlier, you have to engage with the right professionals at the right stage. Anybody who works in the field of surrogacy will be very sensitive about this reform and we're very alert to updates that happen and in their respective fields will get updates that are relevant to them. So whether you are part of an organisation or not, you would still, or I would encourage you, strongly encourage you to engage with professionals around the area, whether it's lawyers, and obviously we would usually be involved when you're applying for parental orders, or before you even start the process, certainly before you have a transfer and some uh, insemination uh, you would have to or no, you don't have to you should get that legal advice because of the benefit yeah. somebody who's actually up to, up to date with the current law where it's going and actually saying to you you've missed a step mm-hmm. because there's certain things you can do pre-conception or pre-transfer which you can't do later on and it, there's, it's really important there but updates generally updates obviously from my surrogacy journey right, thoroughly uh, oh, thoroughly endorsed <laughs> But you, you can follow organisations, particularly the APPG. Mm-hmm. I'd recommend following them. Uh, leading academics, people like Kirsty Horsey, who are, who are well known in the field. And and if you're if you're really geeky, you can follow lawyers and barristers like me, or you can actually follow the Law Commission themselves uh, and the updates that they give. So some tips from you, Mr. Spearman. Again, this is totally unprepared and rehearsed. So uh, Andrew, I am so be sorry. kind. I, I'll be kind. I promise. <laughs> When exploring international surrogacy then, so give me your top five recommendations or tips for an intended parent wanting to embark on an international journey. I would make sure you have the UK side teed up before you go abroad. Even if you think of the jurisdiction abroad, make sure you start with the UK and you make sure the the UK side is teed up together with the foreign jurisdiction. It doesn't matter which jurisdiction you go to, there is always slight discrepancies between them. Some are easier than others. But if you're going to an unregulated jurisdiction, you may find that you're saving a load of money in one sense just to spend a load of money at the other end. The second one I'd say is make sure that you are prepared everything before the transfer date. The point of no return, as I affectionately call it when I'm talking to clients, is usually the point where the transfer takes and you've got a, a running pregnancy. you then got the nine months to actually enjoy and go through. But again, everything needs to be front loaded for that purpose usually in the uk i'd say things such as wills uh, obviously a key one there that will is for your protection it's for your surrogate's protection but it's for your child's protection as well the child that could be born and you can prepare those before you have the transfer date so that's really important i would obviously the third one which probably should have been my first in fairness is a bit like we were talking earlier get a parental order absolutely <laughs> i'm not it's sure a little bit important a little bit important and without it you know you are uh, put really at quite a, a jeopardy there are a raft of other court orders you can get or you could get but none of them are as perfect and none of them are designed for surrogacy and it leaves you in quite a vulnerable position mm-hmm. so after the parental order i would say that you, uh, number four would have to be ensuring you join a community of some kind of support around you. When you look at a lot of international surrogacy journeys, one of the things I talk to clients about is about relationships with surrogates. Uh, I suppose that's my point five. We'll come on to that in a moment. That's a good one. When I talk to my clients, I talk a lot about relationships, but the relationship that you have within your family unit and your wider support 
if you're in a, a country uh, or a county, should I say, or an area of the country which isn't familiar with surrogacy mm. or your friends and family haven't done surrogacy before, you need somebody to talk to. Yeah. And it can't always be a surrogate. And joining a network of people is really important. It could be a Facebook group. It could be a My Surrogacy Journey. Mm-hmm. It could be somebody else. But that ability to do that so you're not yeah, alone is so, so important. important. So, so important. It really can't be a, can't be overrated. It's not a legal point, but it's something that time and time again, a couples, individuals who go through or have that network around them mm-hmm. face the challenges in a stronger way. They're able to ride the rapids of things yeah. they think is everything planned. But we all know something's going to change. Something's going to go slightly pear-shaped. Yeah. And that whole shared experience, that lived experience is... Yeah. You know, comforting for anyone that's doing a journey where their surrogates abroad. Exactly. And I think it's nice to be able to have somebody else who isn't a lawyer or isn't a counsellor yeah. or isn't another professional who says, you know, you need to do this. And you're suddenly yeah. scratching your head going, do I really need to yeah, do yeah. it? And for them to say, actually, this is what it is. I mean, all the professionals should be able to explain to you what it is. But that, that gives a, that's a nice sense. And I get a lot of positive feedback yeah. about that. But the fifth one is obviously the same as I would give to domestic couples. And if you've listened to my other ranty podcast, it would be all about Check it out. yes, um, all about relationship with your surrogate, whether you're here or abroad. That is so important to us in the UK. When you're making your parental order application, a lot of examination is given to the relationship with the surrogate, and it's it's a different relationship, and every relationship is different as a consequence. Uh, whether you go to a jurisdiction which is slightly more commercial based, there's a little transaction, but it is always going to be looked at as to how did you meet your surrogate? Does your surrogate consent to the parental order on the return? It's not good enough that you've paid her a shed ton of money mm-hmm. um, for the journey. She has to engage and she has to participate in the UK proceedings to the extent that she gives her consent. And for that, for the child's welfare, the court is very concerned with ensuring that the child knows their origin whether you're a cisgender couple or whether you're opposite sex couple, whether you're a trans couple, whoever you are, wherever you've come from, it's important that the child knows where they came from. And that includes the surrogacy journey. And part of the parental order you get protects that. But in reality, even if you uh, that relationship you know, drifts at the point when you're going through it, it mm-hmm. gets you through a lot. So mm-hmm. I would I would say that's my fifth point. And that's and that's a, a good point to end on because one of the things that has come out of the law reform and all of the the the, the, the reporting that's been drafted is the whole welfare of the child issue is that it, it's at the core of everything that's been discussed in the, in the, in the current law and in the in the, the new new legislation. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your tips and your advice. So if you liked this, then please listen to the rest of the series. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, ACAS, Spotify, and my Surrogacy Journey member portal. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.